Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Wow, a lot going on. The, uh, the National Football League says uh, you can't take a f- uh, knee on the field or your team is going to get a huge fine. I think they, uh, they have that, uh, what would you call it, legal right as the employer, but uh, is it right? You know, is it the moral thing to do? And uh, we've moved our embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, and, you know, according to Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, back in the 70s, this moves us one step closer to Armageddon. Is that right? Uh, let's ask our old friend Bill Keller. He is the founder of LivePrayer.com. And uh, he tweets at Live Prayer, a conservative fundam- uh, fundamentalist Christian, evangelical Christian. Bill, how do you describe yourself? Just a Jesus-believing, Bible-believing Christian, my friend. Good to be with you, Tom. That's fine. Bill, nice to have you back with us. So uh, I'd like to discuss both these topics with you. And, and sure. uh, you know, I, I read Hal Lindsey back in the 70s. In fact, I used to go to, to the North Lansing Church of God. I used to go to, to a, a beyond evangelical church. Um, yep. And the, my understanding at that time, both from, you know, what I heard in the church and, uh, you know, what I read from Hal Lindsey was that uh, when... Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel when the Second Temple is rebuilt, which Alan Goodman tried to do in the 80s by putting that tent up next to the Dome of the Rock and shooting a bunch of Arabs uh, uh, or Palestinians, that uh, there will then be the War of Armageddon. Uh, Everybody except 144,000 Jews will die in Israel. They will convert to Christianity and, you know, the world will begin anew. Um, First of all, do I have that right? Yeah, t- Tom, i got to be honest with you. After 25 years of the ministry, I know there's a lot of people that love end times, prophecy, all that. i got to be honest with you. I'm more worried about what's going on in the world today because at the end of the day, if you read the back of Revelation, God's going to sort things out at the end, everything as we know it's going to end. I just got to be honest. I don't get too caught up in all of the details. I don't preach on it much because I think most people have a hard enough time getting through the day. And in some cases, just to be, you know, I'll be very blunt because nobody's harder on the Christian community than I am. I think a lot of these prophecy people, uh, I know how he's a good guy. Perry Stone says he's a great prophecy guy. But it's almost like Christian fortune telling. And I think too many Christians use it like a, a horoscope. And like I said, we've got enough problems in, in, in our day-to-day lives that we can control than to try to get in the weeds and try to figure out what God's going to do. God's going to do what God's going to do. we got to do what we got to do. Well said and rational, Bill, so, which raises the question. You've got <laughs> all these fundamentalist Christians who have been throwing money at Donald Trump and who have been lobbying him really hard to move the embassy sure. to Jerusalem for the sole purpose of bringing yep. about that 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 death and destruction that I was just talking about. And isn't it, shouldn't it be, and, 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 and in the process, uh, Trump gave away the, the major bargaining card that American presidents have held for years and years to cause Israel to actually negotiate in good faith with the Palestinians, and frankly, to help the Palestinians negotiate in good faith with Israel, because the assumption always was that East Jerusalem would become the capital of Palestine and Jerusalem itself proper would become the, the, the capital of Israel. Trump blew all that up. So he's taken us closer to an actual war in the Middle East. He's certainly destabilized Israel substantially. I mean, look at what happened the day that they did this. Israel murdered 60 people. Um, Shouldn't Christians be condemning 
this as both diplomatically stupid and, 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 you know, not productive. And shouldn't Christians like yourself, like you just did, basically, be condemning these end time uh, uh, hustlers uh, for, you know, who, who are promoting all this stuff with, uh, you know, with Trump? Well, let me just let me just weigh in this way. As much as you might have liked my last answer, you're not going to like this one because most Christians don't support Israel for end times purposes. Most people support Israel because they're God's chosen people. In Genesis 12:3, there's a great passage of scripture where God tells Abraham, "I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse curse you." Three thousand years ago, David. Uh, designated Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. God gave, if you go, now, now once again, if, if your listeners don't and your viewers don't believe in the Bible, what I'm going to say for the next 15 seconds, they're, they're not going to understand right. or care about or believe anyway. But if you do believe the Bible like I do and billions around the world do, if you go through the early chapters of Genesis and... and, and, no, I, and I, I get the Exodus, whole thing, Bill. You God know, we, gave we need, a we need not beat this to death. So, to the children so basically Israel, you're saying um, that that whatever, whatever, quote, the Jews want in Israel, they should get. But uh, the fact of the matter is Netanyahu has never been elected with a majority of people. Well, he wasn't elected, but, but you know, he doesn't have majority support in Israel. He put together a coalition that was able to, you know, uh, have majority power. But, but this... Tom, the point is, the point is God gave that land to the, the, the people of Israel. Here's something I can never understand. You've got Arab countries all God surrounding also gave Israel. that land to the, to the great, to... great patches of land that's not being used. Why can't they assimilate their Arab brothers and live Israel alone? Bill, uh, Bill if you want to, you know, if you want to quote scripture, you know, God also gave that land to the Palestinians. I mean, you no, know, he did. And... no, he did. No, he did not. Oh, jeez. No, okay. God all right. We're not. We're not. Jewish people. You know, as whenever a whenever we're debating, my book is better than your book. You know, it's it's you know. So you're on record. I got it. You know, let's let's move to the NFL if we could. Um, sure. Uh, here we've got uh, Donald Trump uh, asking uh, that, you know, uh, suggesting that these players should be deported for, for protesting you know police Tom. violence against people of color. And I don't get it. Why, why, why would he say that they shouldn't even be in our country? And for that matter, why would the NFL punish African-American players and, and their white colleagues for saying that it is wrong that our country is largely unique among other developed countries in the world in that we have, you know, around a thousand people a year murdered by police or killed by police, a, a percentage of them murdered by police, uh, and, and disproportionate to their percentage of the population, it turns out to be unarmed black people. Um, what's wrong with protesting that? I don't get it. First of all, everybody knows he's not advocating kicking people out of the country. That, that was tongue-in-cheek, and you know it, and everybody knows I don't think it was tongue-in-cheek at all. Here, you know, he, here, the last time the he point. said maybe somebody just, shouldn't be in the country, he was talking about Mexicans. Tom, Tom just like you have, I'm sure, sure, certain guidelines for your work environment, the NFL has certain guidelines for theirs. If you wear the wrong color shoe or the wrong color socks, or you have, uh, I remember back when the Bears in 85 went to the Super Bowl and Jim McMahon wore the headband uh, and, and they find him. The NFL owns that workplace and they have every right to dictate what goes on in their workplace. Nobody's stopping these players in their off time from saying what they want to say, doing what they want to do. The NFL, the owners of their workplace, have set up certain parameters. Bill, you are legally right. I don't know why this is such a controversial topic. Bill, That's all. Bill, what would happen you know, if one of your employees walks in with a t-shirt? Hey, uh, hang on. Uh, you don't need to filibuster me. Let, you know, you, or we're going to just run out of time here. Legally, you, you are right. You are absolutely right legally. You know, the NFL, these guys are employees of the NFL. And, you know, if, yeah. uh, as an employer, if they say, yeah, I don't like this. But, but you know, as a, as a pastor, you yeah. don't, I mean, I, certainly They've at the biblical level at a certain life. point, they you deal with legalisms. But, for- but your big shtick, you know, the, the, the principal thing that you, you know, that's the water you swim in is what is right and wrong, not what is legal and illegal. And it looks to me like these guys are protesting horrible moral wrongs, and you're supporting the people who are saying, no, you can't do that. I don't get it. Do, do, Do you have policies at your workplace? This has nothing to do with my workplace. No, We're talking no, about the no, NFL. It does. That's what this is about. No, it's Nobody's not what this is about. It's about what is right or wrong. Their, uh, social justice positions. Nobody's Bill, I already agreed from, with you uh, from, that an uh, employer uh, has uh, the uh, right uh, to... statements. They just can't do it on those three hours. 
Bill, I already agreed with you that employers have the right to, to have whatever rules they want in the workplace. I do, you do, the NFL does. What I'm asking you is, is it right to stop people from protesting the murder of their, of their friends, colleagues, neighbors, families? Bill? Oh, you... That's the point. What's they're the point? Trying, they're trying to commandeer. You know what? I'll tell you what. Roger Goodell screwed this whole thing up. He, the first time this happened with Kaepernick, he should have put the hammer down then and it would have been oh, done and over with. It's only at this point today because Roger Goodell is a gutless coward leader. Uh, okay, so it's all the NFL's fault. And how many people stopped watching the NFL last year? I, I was telling some friends last year, I said with the empty stadiums and the number of TV, the TV ratings going down, the first time ever they had to give rebates to their advertisers, the, the fact is people go to watch football not to watch protests. They go to escape that stuff. They listen to you all week. They turn on their TV on Sunday afternoon so they don't have to think about this stuff we talk about every so day. So you're not going to weigh in on whether it's right or wrong? There's not it's not it's not wrong. They own the field. If they, they can dictate whatever parameters they want, just like you do, just like Okay. I got um, it. Uh, I got it. Bill, I got it. Bill Keller, liveprayer.com is the website. You can tweet him at live prayer. Bill, thanks. Tom, always good to be with you. God bless you. Good talking you. with you. Thank you. Back at you. This is the Tom Hartman program. Well, that wasn't that special. Um uh, his you know, is this moral? Is this legal? There's a whole bunch of other stuff I want to share with you, too. We'll get to that right after this. And welcome back. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? Uh, hello, Tom. Uh, just recently I woke up to the news that Donald Trump has canceled the recent upcoming summit with uh, Kim Jong-un. Yep. As I had predicted. Yep. And... Um, it was, it, it was a classic, uh, you can't break up with me, I'm breaking up with you first. But then he adds, oh, by the way, if you want to get back together, we can do that. This is weird. Uh, yes, it is. And uh, I don't think there's going to be a back together again. I think this was the final straw before uh, what I predict is going to be a full-on nuclear confrontation that could escalate into basically World War III on several different fronts in maybe Iran, Europe, between Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Syria. That is the concern of all of us. Yes. And uh, I I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but everything seems to be building up towards a a World War III. And I just don't see how we as a human species are going to be able to survive this one. Because if we have nuclear war, I mean, we're looking at uh, nuclear winter. We're looking at probably the extinction of 99% of all living beings on this earth. Well, I think, no, it's probably going to be more like 90%. And it's entirely possible that there will be some humans who survive it. Uh, You know, billionaires in their storage bunkers that used to be missile silos and things like that. But, yeah, it, it should be a concern for all of us. And, and frankly, I, you know, I, I think that the probability of nuclear winter-type nuclear war, all-out nuclear exchange, which would principally be between the United States and Russia, the United States and China, or the United States and both, um, is far less likely than massive proxy wars, ground wars, you know, an, an act, you know, a replay of the, of the Korean War, for example. Uh, and, and that'll be terrible, too. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing good out of this. Uh, you know, for for dear leader uh, 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 President Spanky's uh, ego. I mean, you know, he, he thought he was going to get the Nobel Peace Prize, and now he's not. Exactly. So, and uh, I think at this point he wants to become a um, um, a wartime president because if you if you look back at all the presidents who get reelected, it's always because they have a a war underneath their. Um, their umbrella. Well, that was the lesson that Maggie Georgia. Thatcher taught taught Ronnie Reagan, and that's that's why Reagan had Grenada. That's why George Herbert Walker Bush had his three, you know, hundred day war in Iraq. Uh, you know, it's why George W. Bush had his war in Iraq. Uh, Jimmy Carter, I think, is the only modern era president. But you know, Clinton. I, I don't think Clinton intervened in Bosnia for political purposes. I think he intervened in 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 that mess because it had just you know, CNN was daily showing the people being starved and shelled and. And they were white people. We can't have that. Uh, so, you know, he felt that he had to intervene. But, but uh, yeah, I get it. So, so exactly. 
Yeah, uh, we'll see how this plays out, Jared. And and I, I and I, I hope for the best. I you know pray for the best. I mean, quite literally. But uh, I'm not confident. I'm, I, I have very very little faith in this administration, and particularly in right wing whack jobs like Mike Pompeo now being the Secretary of State and John Bolton being the National Security Advisor. It scares the hell out of me. Jared, thanks for the call. We'll be right back. So Donald Trump uh, proposes a new penalty for football players who kneel, deportation. His exact quote, you have to stand proudly for the national anthem or you shouldn't be playing, you shouldn't be there, maybe you shouldn't be in the country. Right. So how is he going to decide where he's going to deport these guys to? Right. Most of them are African-Americans. So what is he going to do? 23 and me test and say, hey, your ancestors are from Nigeria. Your ancestors are from Ghana. Your ancestors are and, and send them. I, you know, do we have deportation treaties with those countries? I mean, I get, you know, if there's an occasional Hispanic in the NFL, boom, off to Mexico with you. But, uh, you know, or south of that. But what? Yeah, I mean, how's he going to do this? Obviously, I'm, I'm speaking tongue, tongue in cheek. Maybe. You know, George Takai this morning uh, tweeted that it, when he was a child in the Japanese internment camps during World War II, every morning they had to come out of their out of their little houses and stand and salute the flag, which was on the other side of the barbed wire fence, as the as the as the the, the national anthem was played. And if they failed to, they were punished. So there's that, and we'll get into a conversation about that. I see a number of you are on the on the. Uh, on the phone lines here wanting to discuss it. Uh, number two, Adam Schiff tweeted out, Donald Trump is making false statements about wiretaps at Trump Tower. He's making false statements about unmasking. He's making false statements about, you know, spies embedded in his campaign. Uh, Schiff, the bottom line of what Adam Schiff says, the, the Democratic congressman from California, who's the number two in the House Intelligence Committee, the bottom line of what he says or what he's saying is that it's not spygate, it's ligate. Donald Trump is involved in a ligate. So I tweeted out uh, Adam Schiff's tweet, and I commented on it, saying the big question is, in my mind, why is he constantly lying? Is he covering up his crimes or his poverty and debt? Is he a pathological liar and can't help it? Is he intentionally using the dictator's playbook to destroy our trust in our own nation and government? Is he fascist? Or all of the above? And uh, as Shred uh, replies, all of the above for the win. Right. I suspect it's all of the above. By the way, the Nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office just came out, the CBO. This is the official, you know, authorized by Congress, nonpartisan. I mean, it's not even a bipartisan. It's not like equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans. These are your, you know, original generic bureaucrats, right? People who work for the government, uh, they get a decent salary, they get a decent pension. Uh, they go to work every day, do their job, come home every night, and you know, they're, and they're not political at all. Zero politics. Congressional Budget Office, their only mandate is to the truth and to serve Congress. In other words, to provide truthful information to members of both parties and even people who don't have parties like Angus King and Bernie Sanders. And according to the CBO's analysis, health insurance premiums next year are going to rise by double digits. The exact quote is, insurers are expected to raise premiums for benchmark plans offered through the marketplaces in 2020, uh, 2019 by an average of roughly 15% over the premiums charged in 2018. This is what they said, by the way, a year ago would happen if the, they said, quote, if the individual mandate penalty remains in place and is enforced, there will not be a substantial increase in price. But because Trump's tax scam, the GOP tax scam, one significant part of that that Donald Trump is running around bragging about in his rallies. He's like, hey, we took down Obamacare. We did away with the individual mandate. You don't have to buy health insurance if you're young and healthy and don't think you need it. And therefore, as the CBO predicted, as everybody with any knowledge of health care predicted, you know, therefore, up go the prices. 
Here's the, uh, back to Adam Schiff, here's his exact quote. I didn't have it in front of me a second ago. If, uh, Adam Schiff, congressman from California, number, number two guy in the House uh, Intelligence Committee. False statements about wiretaps at Trump Tower. False statements about unmasking. False statements about a political spy in the Trump campaign. False statements about the Mueller investigation that has indicted the president's top staff. It's not Spygate, only Liegate. And I am hopeful that they will begin to uh, reference this as Liegate. Finally, a federal judge has said that Donald Trump can't block people. Uh, some of the people that he blocked, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, this, this is pretty amazing stuff. Uh, well, we're, gonna, we're hitting a break here right now, so uh, I'll, I'll share some of those with you when we come back. And we'll pick up your phone calls on the NFL and Keller's arguments and, and the news of the day. More of all of the above right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. It's uh, coming up on 28 minutes past the hour, helping you win the water cooler wars on Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Had a real interesting experience yesterday, by the way. I, 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 I wanted to just share this with you real quickly. Uh, I, Louise and I have had this uh, little smart car for a couple of years. We bought it when we lived in D.C. for four, three or four years in D.C. We didn't have a car because we could use public transportation. But then we got a dog, and we had to take the dog places, and Uber wouldn't let dogs in their cars, and so, you know, we got this little smart car, right? And yesterday I went to, uh, and, but now we're living in Portland, and we've got kids and grandkids and friends and people coming in from out of town and visiting, and a smart car only holds two people, and so we really need a bigger car. So we went down to the, uh, so we shopped around and decided that we were going to get a Chevy Volt, so we went to a local Chevy dealer here in, in Portland. And we had looked up the value of our smart car on, on uh, you know, the Blue Book, and in fact, I even went on Carvana and found out what they would give me for it on trade-in. So we had a pretty good idea of exactly what it was worth on a trade-in. We'd actually almost been offered that by a car dealer, an online car dealer. But So we, we go down there, and uh, you know, I just figured that they would treat us honestly and straight up. I, I figured I'd probably get 1000 bucks less than I thought I'd get, but you know, it would be reasonable. And so, you know, we took the car, the, the Chevy Volt, for a test drive, and it was a really nice car, and we filled out all the paperwork, and I sat there for an hour, and we called the insurance company and changed the binder, and blah 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 And they, I think at that point, they thought I'd done everything except, you know, pay for it, or sign for the payment for it. And uh, I think they thought, okay, we've got him. And, that, and toward the very, very end... It was like, oh, and, and by the way, we've got this trade-in, and they had, you know, their guy had driven my car, my smart car around the block and checked it out. And uh, the salesperson handed me the form, and the, the, the reconciliation, you know, of here's everything that we're going to charge you and everything, all the credits you're going to get. And uh, they were offering me about 40% of the trade-in value. I mean, it wasn't even half of the trade-in value. And I'm like, this is not reasonable. And Louise is like, how about, you know, 75% of the trade-in value? And they were like, nope. And so I said, okay, well, that's it. We're not going to buy the car. And we got up and walked off. And, uh, you know, <laughs> feeling kind of bummed. But it, it suddenly hit me as we were driving away that, you know, car dealers used to have this bad reputation of being hustlers and liars and all that kind of stuff. And I had thought that the whole selling a car industry had been disrupted by things like Cars.com and Carvana and, uh, you know, fill in the blank, all these companies. But apparently not. <laughs> apparently they figured out a way to screw you no matter what, and they do it on the trade-ins. It just blew my mind. I was totally blindsided. I was totally not expecting to be treated that badly. And, and, and to be, I mean, you know, they never lied, but, but it, it's something in that category, right? It just, it just amazed me. I thought the, the car business had changed. And I, you know, because when we bought the smart car in Virginia, you know, we went in and, and uh, we had done our homework. We'd shopped around. We had the very best price we could find anywhere on the Internet. We told the guy, here's the best price. He said, that's fine. I'll match that price. And that was the end of it. No negotiation, no nothing. I mean, you know, we got a good deal on it. So... Anyhow, for what it's worth, I, 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 you know, maybe your experiences have been very different than mine. Maybe the industry is actually changing. Um, maybe not. <laughs> I, I'm still committed to buying a new car. I'm just not going to buy a Chevy Volt now. Christy in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Christy, what's on your mind today? You wanted to call about the NFL? 
Yeah, I unfortunately live in Nebraska, so I uh, am not comfortable with the comments around here, and I hope that Bill is still listening. I First of all, admire you greatly. Um, what I'm seeing with the NFL, it seems like I hope that the, all of the black players strike and put power. There's 70 or 80% of the players are all black, correct? Right. I think it's 70%, so, yeah. So it's 35 white men. Well, I know that there's you know, two that aren't white men that are now telling all these blacks what to do. So if you go back to the analogy that he used about an employer, to me it looks like slavery again. You've got millionaires and billionaires that are telling blacks what they can and cannot do because we give you food. And so people say, oh, these blacks made all these millions of dollars. They need to do what the NFL tells them to do. No, they they have power in their numbers, and I hope, I hope that they take advantage of it and and put the white guys in their place. And yeah. I'm tired of the, I'm tired of the it's usually the white guy that's calling up and saying, Hey, these black guys are privileged. Yeah. And no, I get it, Christy. I get, I get it. And very well said. And, yeah. and, and there's a, a, I noticed on Twitter this morning, cause I tweeted about this, that there's a, there's a real growing uh, trend of the hashtag, you know, NFL strike. So we'll see where it goes. Christy, thank you for the call. And thanks for listening to Sirius XM. Louise in Lilith, uh, Lilith's Pennsylvania. Am I saying that right, Louise? Yes. Yes, you are. Um, I, and thank you for taking my call. I thoroughly enjoy your program. Thank you. Uh, and uh, what I wanted to say is that um, our taxes pay for the stadiums, most of the stadiums. I think there's only two that were paid for, you know, by by the owners or by donations, uh, you know, people with money. So That's right. taxes pay for most of these, more than half of what these sta- huge stadiums cost. So since the owners don't own the stadiums, and and tax people that pay taxes do them. We should not. They should not have their freedom of speech to bridge. They're, you know, they're doing it. Uh, you know, and we all should be taking a knee. The whole you're right. Is. Plus, plus the NFL is nonprofit, which means that we're subsidizing. <laughs> you know, we're they, they they don't have to pay taxes on their on their income. They can kick you know billions of dollars or hundreds of millions or whatever it may be to their owners. Uh, we're paying for their fire protection. We're paying paying for their police protection. We're paying for for you know everything basically. Uh, and these guys are freeloading off us, the NFL owners, these billionaires. And I think, I'm pretty sure every one of them is a billionaire or damn close to it. And, and uh, yeah, we're subsidizing them. The, you know, well, go ahead. In, well, in addition to that, the president brags about never paying taxes, so he hasn't been paying for the stadium. And since his suggestion, most of the African Americans have been, you know, a lot of them is 400 years of slavery or 399 or something where we were up to. So where are you going to send them home? That's stupid. And then thirdly, uh, you know, Trump doesn't pay taxes, so he doesn't support the military either. So he doesn't support anything. He just tells everybody what. I mean, yeah. this is minor compared to what he does, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. So very well said. Wrong. Yep, Louise, I need Thank to move along, but thank you. Very well said, Lynette in uh, Chaska, Minnesota, listening on KTNF. Hey, Lynette, what's up? Yeah, hey Tom. Um, it's really good points. The other people were bringing up. I agree with them too. Um, uh, as you as you were talking to that man, Bill, and I'm not sure what Bill his Keller. title is, Bill Keller. pastor, pastor he's Keller. A pastor. Um, what I thought was interesting is as he's telling you that this is a workplace. You know, they shouldn't be bringing this up uh, in a workplace. And I thought, well, why is it that evangelicals want to bring you know real Christianity into a school? I mean, that's I think what people have been saying about schools. Like school is you know, a, a separate place that you're going to be learning. And if you want to do your religion, that can be before or after or on your break, or you can pray silently. So I just thought it was kind of ironic that he's saying, this is a workplace, and you shouldn't bring your personal beliefs into that. But yet, in a public school, the Christians always want to bring their personal belief and force it on everyone else. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Well, not only that, I didn't hear any outrage from anybody when white guy Tim Tebow kneeled to pray before an NFL game. Yeah. Remember? Yes, I do remember. It was like Fox News was like, oh, isn't this wonderful? He's taking a knee because he's a white guy and he's praying. (laughs) It's always that way, though, with the evangelicals. It's always just one-sided. They never can look at the other. I think this is the evangelicals getting in bed with the the neo-fascists, you know, the the hard right and and, uh, that has taken over the Republican Party. And, and, uh, you know, they've they've sold out their principles. They, they, They have lost, and I'm not 
I don't mean to impugn Bill, you know, but, but broadly speaking, the whole white evangelical movement, and this is not seen in the black evangelical movement by and large, but the white evangelical movement has basically surrendered any moral authority that they ever had, in my opinion, by their, by their, un, by their unabashed support of Donald Trump, et cetera. Lynette, thank mm -hmm. you for the call. Very well said. Bruce in Palmdale, California. Bruce, your thoughts? Oh, hi. How's it going? Good. I heard a couple of things that are very interesting today. Um, TV ratings in general are down. That's correct. You're looking at the Netflix effect uh, um, and probably uh, social media and cell phones and God only knows what else. But, yeah, you're right. It's not just the NFL ratings are down. And the, and the ironic thing, I guess, I don't know if that's the choice of word, but the sport that Donald Trump praised, NASCAR, has taken a bigger hit um, both in attendance at the track and on TV than the NFL. So how do you explain oh, that? Oh, that's interesting. They don't... I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. see, it's, I, you know, you have so many choices now when watching TV. There's, uh, oh, there's this amazing TV show called Taken, which I'm going to play a little clip of later on in the program today. Uh, there's some really good television out there nowadays, it's, which is kind of dangerous. So, you know, uh, TV can be kind of addictive. But, uh, you know, Bruce well said. I, 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 and, and that is, you know, again, Bruce, thank you for the call. Uh, you know, it's like the media doesn't do their job. You know, when Trump says, hey, uh, NFL ratings are down, the media doesn't say all ratings are down, except for cable news. And cable news is up because they're pandering to Trump, right? Or because Trump is running his continuous reality show. But uh, otherwise, ratings are down. Yeah, absolutely. So is the NFL. Doesn't mean people are upset about people taking a knee. Nobody cares. They want to watch the damn football game. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. For that matter, it doesn't mean that people ever watched NFL games because they wanted to see the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, you know, we've, we've just gone nuts with this stuff. We'll be back. And welcome back. Ellen, or excuse me, Eileen in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Eileen, what's on your mind today? Hello. Hi, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Yes, I'm calling about the NFL. The mm -hmm. NFL flies the American flag over its stadium. You know, it has all this clothing. It has the American flag embedded in it. The American flag, to me, means freedom of speech. And they can have their rules. The NFL can have their rules, but they have no right to take the players' rights of freedom, you know, to, to speak. Yes. And that's what I see taking a knee is, you yeah. know. I agree. And if they don't want to respect our flag, they need to give it back to the American people. Um, and the military should go in there and confiscate the flag and all the, the um, flags on the clothing and the merchandise that they peddle out there uh, in the name of our country and flag. So uh, we want our flag back. Eileen, you... We you... demand it because that's a tyranny and a repression of speech. When the NFL says that the players cannot speak. Yes. Eileen, you, you raise, an, I think, an even larger and more important issue and question, which is what's the real meaning of patriotism? Because what the, what the NFL and, and right. Trump and the Republicans are essentially saying is the real meaning of patriotism is the symbolism of saluting the flag and making money doing it and making money selling uh, stuff that's got little flags stitched on it. That's the true meaning of patriotism. And what Colin Kaepernick and and black players uh, and and their and their colleagues across the NFL are saying is the true meaning of patriotism is to protest injustice in the land of the free and the home of the brave. I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it, it, and and it seems to me that taking a knee in protest of police brutality is far more patriotic. Than, than saying you can't take a knee in protest, and by the way, please buy one of our T-shirts with, with an American flag on it. That's, that's <laughs> BS uh, patriotism. I think you nailed it, Eileen. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thank okay. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Dave in Armstrong Creek, Wisconsin. Dave, your thoughts? Hi, Tom. Yeah, the, several things. Uh, you know, the, I'm not sure why the, uh, the, the whole thing, the, the, the flag and the... Uh, the, the um, you know the whole the whole thing in the beginning. Why is all why is it all about the the, the military anyway? Well, that uh, goes back to the Cold War. I mean, you yeah, know this it, this was this was started as uh, was it the Cold War or was it the first Gulf War? I forget when they started uh, the whole national anthem yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and and the uh, military, the DOD's got a bunch of money in the NFL too. Yeah. Uh, they they gave them a lot of money, 
And also there's, a, there's another issue. The, the ratings have gone down uh, before this ever happened. And I think there's some things, there, for one thing, there's oversaturation. It used to be Sunday afternoon. Right. Now it's Sunday night. Monday night football came along, and that was really popular, but that's not as much anymore. And then you've got Thursday night football. I think it's just oversaturated to, to that degree. Well, that's too. a good point. There's also, uh, you know, in the last two years, there's all this publicity has come out about traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I and, was going to bring that up. The concussion issue is, you know, there's a lot of parents that will not let their kids play football anymore. Right. And, you know, being, you know, my age, I, I, I'm from Wisconsin. I was a uh, Packer fan all my life. But it's got to the point where, you know, if I don't see the game, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, well, and, and I think some people, A, they, they don't want to encourage their kids to play football, so they're not playing the games in their house, number one. And number two, it's like, you know, when you know that you're watching people be injured in a way that's going to destroy their lives, it's a whole lot less fun. Dave, thank you for the call. Well said. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs, and if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X-Chair. The X-Chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X-Chair. And the X-Chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X-Chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, dot com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. Conversation here. We're supporting, we're subsidizing the NFL because they're nonprofit. We're paying for their stadiums. Uh, maybe we should have a say in this. They're, you know, the, Trump is promoting this lie that, uh, that the reason that NFL viewership is down is because, uh, you know, uh, African Americans are taking the knee on the football field and that that's not patriotic. Uh, and saying instead the patriotic thing to do is to subsidize these billionaires who own NFL teams and buy their NFL uh, paraphernalia with little flagstone on it. And, all this kind of stuff, assuming that there are little flags on it. I've never bought NFL paraphernalia, but several people have said so when they called in. Um, and it just, it's, it's just, it's bizarre. Joanne Reed just tweeted, the irony of the NFL owner's action is that they have now hyper-politicized the anthem, not just for every black player and ally, but for every potential anthem singer or singer bowl, Super Bowl halftime performer. That few minutes before a game will now look like a forced nationalistic display. Amen. Very well said. Paul in Edgewater, Florida. Hey, Paul, your thoughts? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Oh, hello, Tom. Can you hey, hear me okay? Just fine, thank you. Oh, okay. I just wanted to touch base and respond a little bit to the comments by uh, your pastor uh, guest here just a short while ago mm -hmm. of the, the nation of Israel. And I would like to offer your viewers uh, an, an option to uh, further investigate that subject. Um, I am a non-denominational Christian. I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, and I just want to, everyone to know that there is a pastor that I studied under on YouTube, Steve Wahlberg. Uh, he is uh, White Horse Ministries up in Idaho, mm -hmm. and 
come across an excellent video series on YouTube called End Time Delusions and another series about Israel in prophecy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would encourage any folks out there who wish to learn more about what I known as the replacement theory to uh, check out Pastor Wahlberg's uh, very educational uh, videos on YouTube that okay. are supported by Scripture in the whole Okay, Bible. I got, you know, Paul, I get it. And I don't know anything about this guy. And uh, so my apologies to all of you who are listening if, you know, we just got a promo for a whack job. I just don't know. Tammy in Collerville, Tennessee. Hey, Tammy, what's on your mind? Hey, um, I just have some thoughts about the NFL. I was kind of going on one of your other callers that was from Nebraska, I think. I've always kind of felt like that the players have been treated like, even I mean, even in college sports, especially the African-American players, they're there for their entertainment. They want to keep them at a distance and keep them, you know, from doing a lot of things. We want to manage their um, academics and everything. We don't want anyone rising up through that. But they want to keep them, uh, they want them to succeed in order to, to provide entertainment. So, uh, like so are you suggesting sports. that this is kind of a, a minstrel or a plantation mentality? Yeah. yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. They don't wow. want them to have equal, be equal in a lot of ways. They want to suppress, like suppressing them from kneeling. Right. But we want to have them, they want them around for their entertainment. Right. And I think that is just, it's just awful. And it's that way I feel like with college sports too, or high school sports. Yeah. They don't, they wouldn't want their kids necessarily hanging out with them. But they want to make sure that they're there for their entertainment. Yeah, that's that does seem to be what it boils down to. Tammy, thank you for the call. Very well said. Tremaine in Pullman, Washington. Hey, Tremaine, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? I love your show. Thanks. My thing is, when I think about the options that the that the NFL owners have given the players, they can either go into the locker rooms or they must stand. Those two choices, the either or, to me is reminiscent of the everyday life of every American that works for a corporation or a company. You know, we, we, we see freedom when we go into the grocery stores, but we don't see the limited options that we have, the limited choices in the grocery aisle, what we think we're free. You know, and yeah. I think it's just a common, it's a, it's a, I think the, 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 the curtains are being pulled on for all of us to see that these, I call them, I'm going to use the same verbiage as the last caller, plantation owners, mm-hmm. you know, for centuries have been limiting our options, limiting our choices under the guise that we are free. And I think we, we all can take a good look at our, vac- our vacation time, our sick time, our work hours, our time with family, our school system, and really look at the choices that we've been given and ask ourselves, how much freedom do we really have? Or are we the same? Are, are we in the same position where we are either the, we either can go and sit in the locker room or we better stand straight up in a single-file line and comply? Yeah, very, very well said, Tremaine. Very well said. Thank you. Al in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Al. Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how you can tolerate uh, some of these folks that get on there, and they just seem to have, you know, it's almost like they live under thick layers of well, stuff. Well, this, is, this is my job, Al, is to help people win the water cooler wars by modeling good behavior. <laughs> so. no, I hear you. I hear you. I just want to say that the, that the Republican <laughs> Party, I think their number one goal was to, you know, as a people, they they were fighting to maintain the the heaven ordained supremacy, you know, of of the white man over the you know the inferior or colored race, you know, as 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 a national uh, emblem. I, I think it's like the Confederate. I think that's play. the way. Don, I I actually believe that that's the way Donald Trump is playing this. I you know I think if if you look at the core of virtually every one of the issues that he has elevated to the top. What you find is is a uh, a racial play, basically a play to to frightened white men, and to tap in, right to tap into the psyche yeah. of the white culture. And I and right. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of white folks, and I call it culture shock, shock could not handle the fact that we had a black American as a, as our commander in chief. And there there seems to be an aftershock that's you know, and that's why a lot of white folks decided that that you know to vote for Trump was because he appealed to their, you know, I mean, when you look at the rally where the one girl was elbowed in the face as she was trying to get out of there, and, and you know, and he used uh, verbiage like, you know, get him out of here, you know, right. get those SB, SOBs off the field, you know. 
That type of stuff is, I don't think Donald Trump is a racist, but I think he's playing into that psyche. I think he's using it. Oh, I think he actually is a racist. I mean, his dad was arrested at a Klan rally, for God's sake. Al, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, You know, I think he's about as racist as you can get. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is our old friend, Professor Richard Wolf, the founder of Democracy at Work, democracyworkinfo the website, and, of course, rdwolf with two fs.com. You can tweet him at profwolf with two fs or at democracy at wrk. Uh, Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. It is always so nice to have you with us. So Harley-Davidson got their tax breaks and uh, Donald Trump had, uh, you know, applauded them during the campaign. He used them as a prop. He used their workers as a prop. And now they're going to shut down one of their factories in the United States, maybe their factory. I, you know, I'm not sure if it's the last factory. And uh, I guess about half the workers are going to still have jobs of some sort. But they're, they're building or have built or are about to open a new factory in Thailand. Um, what does this tell us about the whole, how, the, how these tax cuts really work and what's going on here? Well, here the irony is, is so rich that it's hard not to, not to dwell on it. Uh, the people at Harley-Davidson themselves have admitted that part of the reason they made the decision now to close the uh, original Wisconsin uh, factory was because the tax cut gave them a lovely windfall. It's always expensive when you close one facility and open another one. So the tax cut, far from keeping them here actually lubricated the process of moving them away and in the process cutting half the jobs. And yes, they're opening a plant in um, Thailand. They already have plants producing Harley-Davidson's in both Brazil and India. And so what they are is simply a sign that the profit motive, which is what drives these companies, is telling them, and it's no great wisdom here, that paying much lower wages in those other countries is the way to make more profits. And they're not going to be slowed down by some community concern for the communities they have made dependent on them, in some cases for many decades. They're not going to be slowed down by that. They're not going to be slowed down by the damage done to hundreds, if not thousands, of families. And they're also not going to be slowed down by public relations theater conducted by Donald Trump. They're doing what their business tells them to do, and it exposes two things. One, the way this system works, which is why it needs criticism. And number two, that Mr. Trump's theater is just that, a kind of punch and Judy show designed to appeal to his political base, but neither able nor even interested in doing anything of, about the underlying phenomena that caused people to be interested in Mr. Trump in the first place. So the net net is that the whole tax cut thing is a scam. I mean, our corporations in the United States are more profitable than, than ever in certainly in my lifetime. Uh, the, the stock market reflects that, uh, and then we give them a giant tax break. I mean, it's, it's uh, in addition to the... Word. Yeah, it, Go ahead. It's unethical, it's immoral, it violates every economics notion. You don't give a big tax break to business after they're coming off a 20-year profit boom. And, and you've seen, in addition, in the last few weeks, all the evidence we need to fulfill the prediction many of us made that the major use of these tax cuts will be to enhance salaries at the top, to pay out larger dividends, and to engage in buying back the stock of the company. That's when the company literally buys the shares back from people who own them in a, in a drive to up the value of the shares for everybody else because that's who they're pleasing with the tax cut, the shareholders and the top executives who are the 1% that we've been complaining about for the last umpteen years. And so, yes, it, it is a society, it's an economy spinning out of control, kind of in a mad rush for profits no matter where the chips fall as, as they carve their way through 
uh, an economy that's reeling. Yeah, yeah, and, and reeling is a good word for it. Um, meanwhile, Italy, uh, the, the five-star movement, I believe it's called, in Italy just won a substantial uh, victory. And uh, this is uh, over, uh, Eve Smith has a piece over at, uh, uh, what is it, nakedcapitalism.com, uh, titled Lib Pop Politics, Italy's New Government is More Neoliberal Than Populist. We're seeing this in Italy. We're seeing it, we've been seeing it in Greece for some time. We've been seeing it in France for a while, Le Pen and uh, the National Front, the Front, Front National. Uh, you know, obviously Orban in Hungary, uh, Erdogan in Turkey, uh, Duterte in the Philippines. The, uh, these countries that were, were uh, largely or even, you know, marginally small-D democratic becoming, uh, you know, <laughs> capital A autocratic. And, uh, but there's, there's an economic peace behind every single one of these. Uh, can you tell us about this, this, this drive for neoliberal uh, austerity and things like that, uh, you know, the destruction of the welfare state, et cetera, and how it ties into populism and what it means and what the long-term, what's, what's your long-term prognosis for these countries? Well, I think you've put your finger on it with understanding that we're looking at, both in the United States and in Europe, the destruction of the welfare state after 20, 30 years of neoliberalism, which enriched a tiny part of the population at the expense of everybody else. It has made the mass of people, as they realize the long-term decline that they're being rammed through, it has made the mass of people very angry at the traditional parties like they were here against the Bushes and the Clintons, so they went to uh, Mr. Trump. In England, they were angry at the conventional parties, so they voted for Brexit. Now you see they're angry at the traditional parties in Italy, and they're voting again for something new, something different. The tragedy, the sadness of it all, is that in their rush to turn away from the old, they haven't yet figured out that what they're doing is substituting new faces, but not a new policy. New parties, but not a new direction for their societies. And in fact, by not looking at the economics, they're allowing the same neoliberalism that got them into this mess to be continued with governments that, in order to survive, have to find scapegoats. They dare not deal with the economic foundation of capitalism and neoliberalism, so they demonize the Europeans if they're British, or the immigrants from wherever they might be coming if they're Italian or Greek or American for that matter. They have to find someone else to blame because they have to come up with some explanation that feeds people's upset with what's happened and yet doesn't touch the economic system. And that's what we're seeing everywhere. And it's sad that we all have to wait until the charade of it all, the fakery, the theater, whether it's Trump and Harley Davidson or the Italians with their immigrants or Mr. Trump, for that matter, with his outrageous statements, until they see that that is shadow boxing, that's fakery, and is not dealing with their basic problems, we're going to have to go through these right-wing efforts because we're not yet at a population willing and daring enough to face that the economic system they have doesn't work for most of them anymore. Yeah. And, and just uh, before we hit the break here, for those people who may not be familiar with the term, could you define neoliberalism for us? Yes, it, it's the European notion of the word liberal, where liberal means minimum government, laissez-faire, where liberal means the government deregulates, the government doesn't own or operate anything, privatization is all the rage. Starting with Thatcher and Reagan back in the 80s, we had a turn away from what happened after World War II and what happened after the Great Depression, a notion that we could ignite economic well-being if only we deregulated. The government, which had been the savior of a broken capitalism, became its enemy, and the right wing was going to vanquish by getting rid of the government. You see it in the Steve Bannons of this day. 
it has been a disaster. It has produced inequality on a scale we hadn't seen for a century. The instability culminating in the 2008 crash has come with the inequality, and now we see the political democracy that we had built over a hundred years being flaunted and thrust aside as these folks try to hold on to an economic system out of control. I think neoliberalism, this notion of deregulation, was the attempt to suggest that capitalism's problems could be solved by going from more government to less government. Unfortunately, the problems run much deeper and bigger changes are the necessary solution if we're going to get out of this. Right. And finally, how is it that the American word liberal has come to mean something very different than the European word liberal. The European, as you as you point out, the European uh, traditional use of the word liberal meant deregulation, small government, austerity, um, and neoliberal, the new version of liberalism. Uh, whereas in the United States, uh, you know, since FDR, we've referred to the uh, the welfare state as liberal. How did that happen? Well, my my pet I'm not a hundred percent sure, but my pet explanation <laughs> is the following: in Europe. Uh, if you're in favor of the government playing a major role, you are one or another kind of socialist, or at least that's typically what you would be thought of by people who both like and don't like socialism. In America, after World War II, having to demonize anything remotely connected to socialism, you had to come up with a word for the kinds of people who wanted a little bit more government but wanted to be assuring everybody that they were light years away from socialism, so they took the word liberal because they couldn't think of anything else. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> I, I, you know, one of the things is just always, you know, how did this happen? What's going on? Right. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Professor Richard Wolf, you always, you, I always learn something from you. I'm so, so grateful you come on this program. Economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work. His most recent book, Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, democracyatwork.info. Uh, Professor Wolf, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom, and look forward to our next talk. Me too. Great talking with you. We'll be back. Dave in Irvine, California. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Just wanted to make a statement, uh, a statement and about the NFL. Uh, first of all, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago you said that, oh, a black guy was shot by the police again. Like, oh, they're just killing these people for no reason. But I wanted to make let you uh, bring you up to date on something. First of all, there was over 1,200 people killed last year, and only 250 of them were blacks. And the rest were Asians, Latinos, and blah, blah. What it white? Well, the majority of them are white people because you know about seventy percent of America is white people. Dave, you know that. I'm, I'm not even going to get into this. Dave Donald in Aurora, Illinois. Hey, Donald, what's on your mind? Uh, I was watching MSNBC and they so nonchalantly talk about nuclear uh, uh, wars and stuff here. This guy here, what I'm afraid of, his temperament. If he gets the news starting to tighten around his neck, he could literally start a war just to just to avoid getting uh, you know uh, taken down from uh, the presidency. I agree. Ronald Reagan started a war to get reelected uh, in Grenada. George Herbert Walker Bush started a war in Iraq to get reelected. George W. Bush in 1999 told his biographer Mickey Herskowitz, who was writing a charge to keep his uh, Bush's autobiography. That if he got elected, he was going to start a war in Iraq to get himself reelected, and he was going to not make his dad's mistake of only having a hundred-day war. He was going to have a war that was long enough that it would last until the next election cycle, so he'd be sure to get reelected. And so, if you've got three three of the last Republican presidents who started wars in order for political purposes, what makes you think Donald Trump isn't going to do the same damn thing? Right. But you know what really gets me? Where are the American people? We had kids in, getting killed in school shootings. There was, there was protests across this nation. We had women that were being sexually molested. We had, we had protests across the nation. They should be getting out there now. And as far as this business with the, with the American, kneeling for the American flag and stuff here, I got this to say to these people. While you're busy pledging your allegiance to the American flag, you got the Republican Party on the right pledging their allegiance to the likes of Grover Norquist, Carl Rove, the Koch brothers, and all the millionaires and billionaires that they consider the only people they care to serve. That's all I got to say, Tom. You said it very well, Donald. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Progressive Talk. Danielle in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, Danielle, what's up? Hey, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. What I want to say about the NFL is I believe that I think it would be so wonderful if all the players in all the sports that are played across America take a knee. And not only just the players, 
but the fans as well. I yes. know this may be hard, but we need to stand by what we believe in and support our NFL brothers. And if not, then we need to find different outlets for our black youth, our ethnic youth, to find a job or do something better where they can get out of the poverty that they're into, where they're not being abused by, you know, the the, the people that just want to have them bash their heads in every day. Yeah. I mean... Well, that, well said, that, Danielle. You know, and, and if, you. if there was an NFL team playing here in Portland, I would be inclined to buy a ticket just so I could kneel in the stands. I mean, you know, particularly if you can get a fairly prominent seat. I, I, unfortunately, we don't have a team here, to the best of my knowledge. We don't, do we, Sean? Yeah, no, we don't. But, uh, Danielle, I, excellent point. Thank you. I'm trying to figure out a way to do fans kneel as a movement. I don't know how well that will carry over. but oh, It might make a good Twitter hashtag as a starting point. Yeah, all right. I'll NFL fans thank kneel you. or fans kneel. Yeah, thank you, Danielle. Great to hear from you. Uh, Andre in Austin, Texas. Andre, we ha- just have 30 seconds. A quick one. Hey, what's up, man? Yep, what's on your mind? Anyone who says that not saying standing for the pledge or not pledging allegiance or the national anthem is disrespecting veterans, I'm a disabled combat veteran. I was in the Marine Corps. I have two deployments under my belt. You know, and the basic thing is that all veterans are fighting for all rights, everyone's rights especially those. So what you have to understand is that you are even fighting for those who would walk up to your veteran and say, hey, forget your veteran, like off the middle, the veteran. It's all about allowing people to do what they want. And I'm yep. also an African-American. You know, I don't stand for the national anthem. I don't pledge for the flag because every day I see somebody that looks like me being killed by the cops, being treated unfairly. I get it. And I got it. I, Andre, I'm sorry we're out of time, but you, you very, very well said. Thank you very much for the call, and thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Thank you for being with us today. And don't forget, as Bernie says, as uh, President Obama said over and over and over again, in addition to despair is not an option, uh, politics is not a spectator sport. You've got to get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Tag, you're it. Have a, have a great uh, holiday weekend, too. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.